You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Give yourself a delicious escape from the afternoon with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Stay connected and never miss a beat with AT&T. Our reliable network covers more roads than any other carrier, ensuring you're always in the loop. Whether it's tournament upsets, buzzer beaters, or social media buzz, stay up to date. Don't let the action pass you by. Check if you're eligible for a free trial of in-car Wi-Fi at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. And keep the madness going. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. It's the Son of a Butch podcast. We come to you every Wednesday. This week, uh, Dave Phillips, one of the co-founders at the Titleist Performance Institute with Dr. Greg Rose. We've had him on the pod before, right after Phil Mickelson's historic victory at the PGA Championship. Phil and Dave, very good friends. He's part of that inner circle, but he is also the coach of John Rahm. And obviously with John Rahm winning a green jacket, thought it would be a fantastic opportunity to get him on, kind of pick his brain. I mean, listen, John Rahm is a incredible golfer, but he's a very unique athlete. He has some unique things to his body, and and that's one of the things we talk about with Dave. One of the reasons why I wanted to get him on talking about John is if you're trying to emulate what John does, uh, you need to be careful with that because I think after listening to the pod with Dave, I think you're going to have a better understanding as to why John does what he does, um, why John isn't able to to do some things that would maybe make his golf swing look a little bit more orthodox. But um, I think there were a lot of people um, that did tell John Rom that uh, as a junior, he needed to make some changes. But uh, in meeting uh, Dave Phillips, uh, I think it was a, a career changer and a life changer for John because the TPI model is to figure out what your body can and can't do first. That's what they did with John. We get into it. So uh, it's a pretty good deep dive into John Rahm. Uh, Masters champion to go along with a U.S. Open champion. And I think the sky's the limit because uh, when John Rahm is playing John Rahm golf, he is tough to beat. But before we jump into that, let's take a moment to thank For Wellness for supporting the show. You guys hear me talk about them every week. And the reason I do that is because I drink their coffee every week. 
know lots of people are focusing on health and wellness as we start the new year. But what I love most about their coffee is that there isn't anything artificial in it. No artificial ingredients, sweeteners, creamers, and all the junk that isn't good for you. It's only the good stuff giving you more energy without typical crashes you get when a lot of your coffee and if you have a lot of sugar in your coffee. Give it a try and use the special code CH3. That code will get you 20% off your order plus free shipping and a free starter kit worth $30 when you visit forwellness.com slash podcast. Again, that's the code CH3 at forwellness.com slash podcast. So sit back and enjoy listening to Dave Phillips. So Dave, um, I think it was only a matter of time before John Rahm won another major. Um, and he's been the dominant player, I think, of the last, you know, three, four, five years, definitely this year. Um, what do you think it means to him to get another major? But, I mean, we all know there's winning majors and then there's winning Augusta. Um, what do you think it means to John to, to get it done there, given the history of Seve and Jose and, and all of his heroes? Yeah, that's a great question, Claude. I, I think uh, it, it's really been amazing for him. I mean, this is one, like as a European kid, you dream of, right? You you see Jose Marie and you see Sergio Garcia and then Seve, and they've all won there. I think, you know, as much as you want to win them all, and for a European kid, a lot of times you're looking at the Open Championship as the one you want to win. But this one, is it, it holds a special place for John, and I think uh, – this, you know, he, he's going to say that they're all important because that's the kind of person he is. But I know behind the scenes that this this is the one that I, I know he really wanted. This is the one he really coveted and because of the history. And so for him to do it, and uh, I'm sorry that it was against your guy because, you know, I love you and I, I love your guy. And we, we battle backwards and forwards. But I was so proud of the way Brooks came out the way he did. And uh I think he's going to he's going to be there for the rest of the season as well, and, and a long time. You know, as, as you and your your partner, Dr. Greg Rose, as, as the co-founders of the Titleist Performance Institute, um, I think you two um, both have changed kind of the way that we all as instructors think about um, the golfing landscape. And um, I remember when Brooks won in he won the first major, his first major at Aaron Hills, and you guys, you and Greg, immediately called me and said, "Hey, can we do a?" article because of the workouts that he was doing, the strength that he had put on and, you know, the team of people that he had built around him. And we talked that day in that article about, you know, kind of Brooks being kind of the the embodiment of the TPI model of strength and conditioning, um, golf fitness, you know, having all these things. I think John Rahm is the living embodiment of the screening side of TPI. For everybody that doesn't know that if they haven't heard the story, why don't you talk, Dave, a little bit about how you met John, um, the things that you saw and the way that you have gone about working with him because he has a very, um, he's got a very unique golf swing. He's got a very idiosyncratic golf swing. But talk me through when you first met him and that whole process of what you saw and what you told him. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I, I first met him through the Spanish Golf Federation, you know, with what Greg and I do in our education worldwide. We used to do some seminars for the Spanish Golf Federation and they said, hey, we have some players that we support in the U.S. that go to college. Would you by chance, you know, look at this 
guy, John Rahm. And I was like, oh, absolutely. I'm happy to take a look for you. He happened to be at a college tournament in town with Tim Mickelson, his coach. And obviously my relationship with Phil, I, I knew Tim. And, you know, I, I, they brought him out there. And I started taking a look at him. And I remember watching him hit balls. And right away, it was like, oh, this is different. And, and you know, not only was the swing different, but the persona, the way he talked and the way he did what he did. And he just had a little bit of swagger. But the questions he asked, that was what was most powerful. Like, he wasn't like this reserved kid. He wanted to know the answers. And he was struggling with a couple of shots. Why can't I hit it high? Why do I only draw it? Which, you know, most people see him now as all he's ever done is cut the ball, but he actually drew the ball. And then, you know, the, these issues, I was started to ask him about what's going on with your top of the backswing? Why is it the way it is? And and then we screened him and that's what we do at TPI. So, you know, our philosophy has always been is that if you don't understand what they can do physically, then you're barking up the wrong tree because you, you need to understand how somebody moves in order to get better. So we took him in the gym and we took him through an assessment screen and he probably failed out of the 14 or so tests we did. I think he failed 10 of them, right? And we started looking at some of the things. He was tight. Uh, we looked at the ankle dorsiflexion issue. He told us about that, you know, when he was a kid. And then he, we looked at the wrist issues and, look, and, and a couple of little areas, but nothing you couldn't mold around. And, and I think really where John and I hit it off is I, I said to him, I go, you know, you're going to get a lot of people that want to change your golf swing. Don't listen to them. Don't do it. He said, your golf swing works. But if you want, we'll teach you how to build a team around you and to really make it work and show you what you're capable of. Because... It was just so unique. And I, I love the unique. You're right? I, you know, there's a lot of swings that everybody's trying to have this model and look like somebody else. John Rahm is John Rahm. You know, Brooks Kepka is Brooks Kepka. Tiger Woods is Tiger Woods. And for the young people out there, you need to realize that you need to be the best you can be and, and, and know what your limits are and what your limitations are. You can always work on fixing them. But when you go down this track of trying to swing like somebody else and you can't physically do what they do, that is a track that you'll never succeed at. And so that was really how we came together and started working together. He asked me to, if he could come out every quarter and the Spanish Federation said, yeah, that would be great. And um, we just started to keep in touch and he would send me swings from on the road and during his college events. And I'd tell him one or two things to do. And then, you know, you could see the, the escalation of how good he was going to be. And um, when he turned professional I remember from his first event, he was sent me a couple swings. He wasn't hitting it very good. And I told him to do one thing. And I just got a text back and said, strike show. And from then on, it kind of started. And uh, we've, we've had a great relationship. Um, we built an exceptional team of TPI certified experts. You know, I, I play a, a small role with that team. And, and basically, it's kind of managing and steering the ship the best I can. And uh you know, Spencer Tatum, his fitness professional, TPI level three, phenomenal in Phoenix, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. We have uh, Harry Sesse on the PJ Tour, his medical professional level three. And then um, we have Jimmy Yuan, a medical professional at home. So to do any recovery we need at home. We have Brett McCabe, who's a, a sports coach. We have Nico Dares, who's a you know, practice program guy. So th there's a big team around, John, and uh, that's what makes it work is a great team. One of the things that I find interesting about John is um, 
Adam Hayes, his um, caddy, who I think Adam does an amazing job and has been a huge uh, piece of that puzzle. But Adam says that, you know, at tournaments, John doesn't like to do a lot. And, you know, in talking to Pat Perez, um, who I work with, they both play at Silverleaf at the same course in, in Scottsdale. He said if John is home on an off week, he is basically nonstop at the golf course, nonstop practicing. But when he gets to tournaments, Adam says he doesn't really practice a lot and doesn't really need to practice a lot. A lot of guys are different. They go to tournaments. They like to practice. DJ does a lot of work at tournaments. When he's home, he tends to try and take some time off. Um, Brooks made that famous quote you know, a couple of years ago. The only time you see me practicing is when I'm at golf tournaments because when I'm not at golf tournaments, I need the time off. Um, talk me through what John does away from tournaments, which is where people aren't seeing him because Pat has been blown away at how much he practices and how hard he practices. Yeah, it's the work before the work, right? And basically it allows him to just go play. So my role there is uh, really just trying to give him practice programming and making it fun for him. So, you know, in the off weeks, I'll, I'll go to Arizona. Um, we'll do some work together if there's any technical work that needs to be done. And there's very little now. Most of it is, hey, if we keep the body in the right place, the, the swing will do what it needs to do. And, and that's great. That's what you want. Um, but when he's home, I mean, a, a typical John Rom day would be, you know, he gets up and plays with the kids and, and has fun with them and, and does that. And then off to the gym and the gym will start with a, a pretty heavy workout. He's not afraid to move some weight in the gym. And that that's about an hour long workout. And then he'll go home and freshen up and eat. And then he'll head to the golf course. So now we're usually 9.45, 10 o'clock and he'll start his practice and he'll start with um, some games that we've created that make it fun for him. And he's got different games that he can tap into. And those, those are anywhere from putting to distance control wedges to driving games that he can rotate in and out of. It's, it's, it's really kind of unique. And then if somebody's there, he'll go play. And he's quite happy to go play golf. And it, it's like this is his day. Like when he gets home, yeah, he's going to have the off days where he doesn't, he shuts it down and does nothing. But, you know, before the Masters, we probably starting Tuesday of the week before, it's a good eight hours a day of practice and play. And then by the time we get to the Masters, in fact, before that, Friday, we shut it down doesn't touch a club Saturday, Sunday, travel day comes in and then kind of slowly works into the week. But, you know, when I'm there at, at tournaments, it's really more for support. I'm part of the team, anything he needs. If he needs me to drive him somewhere, pick up food, that's what we do, right? We do the things that you need to do. So it's not always, it's part of coaching. It's you, you pick up and you trying to get your athlete in the best position they can to perform. And that's, that's what we do. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. 
smart enough to anticipate your needs even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to do That's my That's my bro. <laughs> John has the ability to shoot really, really low scores. And and that was one of the things that stood out um, to me when I first started working with Brooks Kepka. He was playing on the Challenge Tour right after, you know, I started, you know, doing some work with him. He started shooting really low scores in tournaments, 62s, 63s. That was one of the things that kind of got him um, the year that Phil won the, the Open Championship at Royal, uh, at Carnoustie. Um, Brooks had qualified for that. He and Peter Uline were playing in a, in a practice round with Phil and Ricky, and Phil was asking me about him, and I was saying, listen, he shoots really, really low scores. And that was something that Phil really liked about Brooks, is that he could shoot low scores in tournaments. Obviously, Phil has played a huge mentoring role to John Rom, but I know that's something that Phil liked about John as well, that he could shoot. I mean, I think Phil said the first time he ever played with him, he shot 62 why are some guys like John, um, Dave, able to shoot really, really low scores where other players aren't able to do it that consistently? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, obviously ball striking is one thing, but it's that there's no fear in John. And I think that's a huge aspect of players that when they feel it, they can go. They're, they don't turn the faucet off. When it's coming, the water's flowing. 
they're going. And, and, you know, to your point, I mean, the week before in Arizona, I think he missed like an eight foot putt for 29 on the front nine. And then the next day shot 60 in the wind, like it was nothing. And that, that 60 was with a bogey or two, I think. And, and so, you know, he has that ability to just put the pedal down and start going. And, and the, the big thing you have to do with ball strikers that have that capability, as you know, is a course like Augusta, which I'm probably the most proud of, is the way he managed his game through that weather, because you were there with me. I mean, you saw what it was like. I mean, one day it was 85. The next day we're going to the golf course. It was 42 and raining and windy, and it was totally different. You know, one day the ball's carrying 300 yards in the air. The next day you can't get the driver past 270, and these are the best guys in the world. So managing your game and what he did that week was, you know, normally when you get a guy that can go low, they start firing at pins. But he did a great job of, of choosing the lines. And this is where Adam comes in as, as really the most valued person on the team is a caddy of Adam's, Adam's stature, is that he is the glue that holds it all together. I don't think they get enough credit. Caddies aren't guys that just came out of the bar and carried the bag. And, you know, that, that was 50 years ago. These guys are former college players. Many of them are great athletes. They're smart. They're intelligent. They do the coursework. They do their homework. They know the technology that's out there. They have great relationships with the rest of the team. The first person I call after a round of golf is usually Adam, not John, because I want to know where, at, at, what Adam saw. And, and he's, he's gold to me. I mean, that, that, that guy deserves all the credit he should have. Um, so I, I kind of went off track there. But, but um, you know, I, I feel like Augusta this particular time and any time you have to hit the ball in the right place on the greens. And I think John just did a little better job of that than probably Brooks in the last day. I think Brooks did it better the first couple of days. When we as fans and, and everyone listening and as viewers, when they look at John's golf swing, they see it look very different than what a lot of the modern golf swings. You know, John is a very big, he's a big person. I mean, he's a big athlete. He's, you know, probably over, I mean, 6'1", 6'2". He's not, a thin leath kind of, he's a big kid. But when we see his golf swing, we see that super, super short backswing. We see that club and that very, very laid off. Can you talk us through the physical reasons why we see the golf club in those positions and how he makes that work, Dave, with the limitations that he has? Yeah. So, you know, obviously I think John has talked about this. So he had a club foot when he was a child and they broke his foot and set it. So he has no, right, is it the right or the left, the right foot? It's the right foot. So he has no dorsiflexion in his right ankle, which means it can't flex. So uh, as a result, his, his left leg is actually quite a bit thicker. You don't see him in shorts, but his left leg is stronger than his right leg. His left foot is a little bigger than his right foot. So that's one physical attribute. When you have an ankle that can't move, that puts stress up the chain. So it puts stress on the knee. So you got to make sure the knee structure is strong. It puts stress on the hip because they're doing the job that normal ankles usually do. They're like a shock absorber, right? So you have to look at that in the whole scheme of things. And that's what we do. I mean, my partner, Dr. Greg Rose, as you know, is an expert at this and is, uh, is the guy that puts this all together. But, but basically... Anytime, it's not that John Swing needed to be short. I could lengthen it. People think he's got tight hips and a tight thoracic spine. That's totally wrong. 
He has great hip mobility and great thoracic spine mobility. If I sat him down and, and we just went there, he can get the club all the way back here. The problem is, is as you wind that spring up, that puts more stress on the ankle. And if I put too much stress on that ankle on a frame like his, you could create some issues. And, and so we don't go there. The other beautiful thing about John Swing is it's short, but it's very wide. DJ is wide up. John is wide out. So, you know, you can be wide in many different ways, but John is wide out in front of him. The other beautiful thing about his swing is the club is always in front of him. So it gets down in front of him very easily. Whereas players with the club behind them, they almost have to wait for that club to catch up. So the efficiency of John's kinematics is phenomenal. The way he uses the ground is phenomenal. And his stretch, his what they call X factor, is actually bigger than somebody that has, let's say, 90 degrees of shoulder turn and a 45-degree hip rotation. John has like 70 degrees of shoulder turn, but only 20-something degrees of hip rotation. His X factor stretch on the downswing is actually bigger than most players on the tour. So we have this very efficient engine. We have a big frame that can move. And because he has mass, body mass, he's a bigger than normal guy, he doesn't put as much stress on his joints as somebody like a Will Zalatoris or even a Roy McIlroy, who's, who's smaller in stature, much lighter. They have to use the ground so much more and put a lot more energy through their frame in order to achieve the same kind of speed as John. So in many ways, he may be the new modern golfer. You know, we back in the 80s, they used to say, hey, a five foot 10 and about 180 pounds was Jack Nicholas and, and you know, uh, Greg Norman. Well, now six foot three and 240 pounds is, is pretty damn good. One of the things that we were talking about when we were watching golf, um, the golf on, over the weekend, um, the rest of his game is very underrated because obviously he can hit the golf ball miles. He hits the golf ball. I mean, his ball striking is very, very um, elite. But um, you said that his putting and his short game are kind of the underrated parts of it. What is it about his putting and his short game that you think makes hit, you know, a strength of his game? Um, it's not as flashy as the ball striking, but it is definitely, um, you know, one of the, the calling cards that he has. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the creative side of John Rahm coming from Spain and what a lot of those guys growing up with Seve, they love to play, right? You've seen this, we've seen it. And John's creativity around the green, I mean, I've watched him get in the bunker with a four iron and hit bunker shots and lob shots. And, you know, they all channel Seve. And then he's very close to Jose Maria Lavabal, who showed him some things. And then he's made it his own. And he just tries things. He never stops trying. And, and that just gives you that confidence around the green that, you know, we, we kind of learn from Phil. I mean, being around Phil and watching Phil, you know, Phil can hit shots nobody else can hit. Now, partly is because of the makeup of his wedges, but also because Phil is an expert at reading the lie. I've never seen anybody read the lie, the grass around the ball, as good as Phil. Well, John's learned some of this as well and made it his own. And I just think his short game is astoundingly good. I mean, some of the up and downs he got this week from, you know, off the right side of the green on one, there was a couple, some of the up and downs on 13 from off the left were amazing with the speed of the greens. So that's one thing. And now his distance control wedges, we've worked a lot on trying to flight those down a little bit, take speed off. 
which is a harder thing for John because of such a short swing. You know, for someone like Justin Thomas, they've got a slower, longer swing. They can take the speed and the spin off. When you have a short swing with quite a lot of set like John does, it can be a little difficult to take speed off. But we've done a great job of, of doing that, and he's done a great job of doing that. And uh, Nico Dar has created a game where we use eight irons for our distance control wedges. So you, you actually have to hit an eight iron 80 meters or 90 meters, 100 meters. And, and that teaches you to slow things down. And then when we put the wedge in, it works perfectly. So he's done an amazing job of that. And then I think the putting, yes, he, has he been a streaky putting over time? If you looked at statistics, it would say yes. But you've also got to remember that he hits more greens in regulation than most people. So he's putting more than most. So statistically, some of those stats I, I don't even look at. Um, we've done a really good job of simplifying his putting. And he's got a little trade in there, which I think a lot of great people have. Brooks has this a little bit too, in that whatever they do through impact, they kind of do in their putting. So full swing can mirror the putting stroke. John Rahm tends to be a really good little shut, little hold-off face putter. Why do you think he's so good on left-to-right putts? Well, every shot he hits is left-to-right. So he sees that line really well. So anytime we get a left-to-right putt, we're loving it. And then um, the hardest putt for creative guys is a straight putt. Um, but he, we've done a really good job of simplifying putting, and he works on it, and he's getting better and better and more confident. Um we had you on the podcast before um, talking about Phil. You've been you know, part of Phil's inner circle for a long time. Phil has played a huge role in John's you know, career, both on and off the golf course. I remember when John turned pro, Phil was taking bets from anybody that would listen on the PGA Tour saying John Rahm you know, was either inside of a year or two years was going to be inside the top three in the world. What do you think that impressed Phil so much about John at such an early age? You know, I, I think the first time, I know he played golf with him at Whisper Rock and shot 62, but there was another time in California when I took John to play with Phil at the Bridges Golf Club. And I remember after three holes, Phil coming up to me and go, that's the best iron strike I've heard in a long time. That kid's going to be, you know, world number one one day. And and, you know, there's a guy that knows what a great iron strike sounds like. You know, John tends to, because of his shorter swing and the way the club moves from hip height to hip height on both sides, I don't know if there's anybody that's got the face matching the plane better than John Rahm. There's no open and a lot of rotation of the face. So as a result, his strike is very good and his control of the shot is extremely good. And I, I think that's what Phil saw. Um, he also sees that competitivism. You know, Phil has a way where he can get under John's skin. He'll he'll kind of flip the game or change the rules on him, and you can see John get rattled. And at a younger age, John would get rattled by that. But now, when it happens, John just it, it, he just focuses in, and you'll see those eyes kind of change to a different shape. And all of a sudden, it's game on. And it's kind of fun to watch. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my That's my game. <laughs> His driving is, I mean, I think he's one of the best drivers of the golf ball, you know, I've seen in a long time. He he tends to fade the golf ball, but you said that you've actually been trying to get him to feel like he draws it a little bit more. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, I, I, I knew him when he first came here, he could draw the golf ball really well. And then just because of some of the physicality and as he gained more strength, Obviously, on the PJ Tour, a lot of players that have power, they like to actually fade the golf ball. They feel like they can talk to it or or control it a little bit better, and I can understand why. But John is an exceptional drawer of the golf ball, and what I'm trying to do with him is really get him dialed in to hitting and trusting a draw pattern because he really does have that capability of drawing it at will and he showed it a little bit here at Augusta. I mean, if you looked at some of the drawers that he hit, not only did he hit it great on 10 where you have to turn it around the corner, his tee shots uh, on two were phenomenal. He hit some beautiful draw irons. You know, he's starting to get comfortable with a draw. And to me, 
that's going to hold the rest of the golf world accountable because when he's got total command of both, that, that that's that's what I keep saying is I, I don't think we've seen the A game yet of John Rahm for four rounds. And not that any golfer ever has it for four rounds, but if he has it for two and a half, the rest of the tour is in trouble. So, Yeah, I mean, so he's won the first major of the year. I mean, obviously, that's the second one. Um, I think he's he's so good with three majors left that he is good enough to win all three of them this year. So let's go through the courses, um, Dave, and, and kind of talk about how they fit John Rahm. So the PGA is going to Oak Hill, classic, old school, U.S. Open, East Coast, lots of trees. How do you think Oak Hill sets up for his game? You know what? It's going to be hard for me to say that there's no golf course that doesn't set up for John's game because there really isn't. I mean, he has command of the golf ball. Like, and, you know, these players, we say, hey, this guy's built for this, this guy's built for that. You know, uh, it, it's all based on the conditions. It's all how things are set up. You know as well as I do that, you know, you can get a lucky break with the draw. In majors, there's the, the, the good guys go to the top, but then somebody will win it that you didn't expect. And a lot of times they might have got out on the right side of weather or the right side of the draw, or they just had a few lucky bounces. And, and really, in many ways, you can look this week and see a few lucky bounces that everybody had that you were like, oh, man, that could have been really in trouble. And it bounced out in the fairway. And, and you know, so you, you need the golf gods on your side to win major championships. Um, I think every everybody that's won them will say, wow, I, I hit this shot and I actually, or I hit a putt that went in that I didn't expect to make. But you just need to keep giving yourself chances. And I think, John, whether it's, you know, the PJ Championship, the US Open, the British Open, wherever it is, he can hit, his game will travel anywhere. And that's why I'm bullish on, you know, if there was one golfer in my books and nothing against Brooks or anybody else, as you know, that could literally win all four majors in one year, right now it'd be John Rahm because he's won the first one. He's won um, in Ireland before. Does he like Lynx-style golf course? Um, there has always been this, I mean, John, John is getting better, but at times... He can run hot, which I kind of like. Um, but to win an Open Championship, you can get stuck in some really, really bad weather. And a lot of the conditions can be against you. Um, at an Open Championship, good weather or poor weather, what do you think he does well in those situations? Yeah, I, I think, you know, Open Championships are different, as you know, because they're very condition dependent. And just because of the nature of where they are in the world, the weather can become a big issue, more so in the north. When I mean, we're down this year in Liverpool, which is Hoy Lake, last time when Tiger won it there, it was dry as a bone and guys were hitting two iron 350 yards. So again, it, it really doesn't, it, it's hard for me to get ahead of myself and say, you know, which, what, what it's going to affect John. What I would say is he's starting to mature where he's being able to handle whether good days or bad days. The goal for any major championship is just get in position to be there with nine holes to go and see what happens. And, and you know, if, if you can do that, and I think this is what all the great players try and do is they're jockeying for position. You know, I, I, I was a little shocked to see some of the guys at the Masters not make it to the weekend that we know are incredible players. And maybe they're just trying a little bit too hard. Maybe they're over-preparing. I don't know. But I, I think uh, in some cases, you just got to be very, very patient. You, you're right. I mean, I, I, have you talked to John and the team? Have they talked to him about 
um, the fieriness that he has because, um, you know, that's a touchy one because you never want a player, Dave, to not be who they are. But there was an example, you know, the, I think it was the players that Rory won, you know, John and, and Adam on the second hole, you know, he was in the, you got out of position. Adam was trying to get him to lay up. Um, he wanted to not lay up, hit it in the water, ended up making a big number, but it's a, it's that balance, right, of of letting John be who he is, but also is he aware that at times his temper can get to him? Yeah, I think it is, but I, I think his temper actually in many ways it's under control. And I, I think it's not that he's mad at anybody but himself because he knows that he's put in the work and he knows he's better. I don't think he's getting mad because somebody did something. You know, uh, I think a lot of elite athletes, they may put the blame somewhere else because they, they kind of build the Teflon around them. But John's a big boy. I mean, he takes accountability for himself. I, I actually like the temper. I think it's great. I think it refocuses him in many ways. I just don't want it to affect anybody else's play, but I don't think he does that. And in many ways, I, I think it's what makes him so good is that he's able to have a couple bad holes. So, you know, if you don't think four putting the first hole upset him or pissed him off, it did. And I, I'm pretty sure that when he walked to that second tee, he took a deep breath and he was like, OK, let's go. Let's get back to the game plan. And, you know, uh, 17 holes later, he had shot nine under par. I mean, that is pretty amazing. Right. And I said to his dad walking off the uh, the green, I'm like, it's going to be a hell of a story when he puts that green jacket on on Sunday that he four-putted the first hole, right? And his dad was just like, you know, it brought back visions of Seve. I miss, I miss, I miss, I make. I mean, there's so many cool things that happened, right? Yeah, I mean, and and the one thing I liked about John is when they asked him about that, I mean, obviously, if he had four-putted the first green and shot 78, it's a little different. Like you said, he four-putted the first green and then was nine under from, from there on out. But he said he didn't get mad because he didn't hit bad putts. It's just that's how difficult and how treacherous the greens can be at Augusta National. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a double bogey on every hole. People think that, oh, 13, 15, those are birdie holes. I mean, we've been out there. We look at it. We're like, there's a double bogey sitting on every hole. You get yourself on the wrong side of one of those pins. You hit a chip that's not too good. I mean, on one, you can chip it off the green all day long on one if you're on the wrong side. Oh, and guys did, right? So you have to manage your emotions there. That golf course, you know, I, I think it played amazing. I know the weather was the way it was. I think the changes they made on 13, you know, were actually good because the guys were able to hit driver. They weren't hitting three wood. And if they did hit a good drive, they were left with a little bit more club into the green and decision to make. And I, I would love to see the stats on 13 or 15 around birdies. But 15 was more of a layup hole this year, and it wasn't an easy layup hole. We saw some guys spin it off into the water with their wedges, but that's that hole. Like, you know, that that's what it is, and that's what makes that tournament so great. You said you didn't want to get ahead of yourself. Uh, we've got Rory right now with four majors. He's going for the Grand Slam. Uh, you've got Brooks with four majors. You've got DJ with two. You've got Morikawa with two. Um, you got Scotty Scheffler. Um, with one um, and a players, um, how dominant can John Rom be? Because I mean, you and I have talked about this, Dave, and I've said this to you before. When I watch him play, you could make an argument that I I don't understand how he doesn't win every week. He is that good. So with two majors now, are we looking at somebody that could maybe 
push into that rarefied, you know, seven, eight, nine, maybe even did. Because that's what we thought Rory was going to do, right? When Rory won Valhalla 2014, everybody was like, this is the guy that could get to double digits. Um, it's kind of stalled. Um, it's been almost a decade since Rory's won his next one. But is John that guy that could be a 10 major winner? You know, it's, it's, yes, he is. I'm going to say it. He is. <laughs> Absolutely. He's that guy. Um, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I, it, yeah, he is. He's that good. And he needs to believe he's that good. And I tell him a lot. I go, I hope you're thinking about winning a ball this year because you're swinging as good as I've ever seen you swing. But the thing is, is there are so many good players, as you know, and there, and you need breaks and you need things to go your way. But John's 28 years old. So, you know, given the competitive nature of this game and how hard they push these days, you know, you could say that we've got another at least 15 years of, of great major winning golf there. And then you think of Phil at 51 that won a major championship. There are certain majors out there that I think you could win into your 50s. And, you know, as these guys take care of their bodies better – as you know, they put better, more functional food, which as you know, I'm involved with in their bodies. And we look at the longevity side of the medical space. Yeah, I do. I, I think John could win 10 majors. I think you told the story last week. Um, we, we talked about this. It gives a little unique insight into the mental part of, of things. When he won the US Open at Torrey Pines, you said he, he carries something in his wallet um, that, and it was a he used to get picked on as a kid. Tell that story because I think that is a that is a a really interesting way to kind of describe how he thinks mentally. Well, I, I, I'm I, the story from what I recollect it goes is that John was in school when he was young, and I think he was probably 12 years old or, or somewhere. I, I can't remember the exact age, but the teacher asked them to write down what they wanted to be when they grew up, kind of as you would as a teacher in school. And he wrote on a piece of paper that he was going to be the best player in the world, uh, the number one player in the world one day. And I think another one of the kids in the room saw the note and grabbed it and kind of made fun of him. And John grabbed the note back and quietly put it back in his pocket and carried that in his wallet. And, and when he won the U.S. Open and became the number one player in the world, I, I think that was a little bit of that you know, those kids knew who they were and they know who he is. And that was just a little bit of that. You know, you got to put it out there. I'm a big believer. If you can't see it, you can't be it. And any young player that's listening or anybody, whatever you do in life, if you don't have a vision of where you're going to go, you're not going to get there and you need to put it out there. And I know John has put it out there with the green jacket and, and visualized himself wearing it. And, and I think people need to see the power of that because it, it, it sets you on the right course and it, it defines the lines. It, it puts you in the lane, so to speak. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. 
The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to do That's my That's my Switching gears just a little, um, you know, some really sad news. Will Zalatoris just underwent his second back surgery in under a year. Um, you guys were part of, um, you, and Gre- you and Greg Rose were part of that journey. Um, we were talking last week about the ball rollback, about how everybody thinks that you've got all this ball speed, you know, 190, the long drivers. Um you know, the frame that guys have like Brooks Kepka, like John Rahm have, like DJ have. Um, but then I think the USGA and the RNA think that everybody's just going to hit it one day with 200 miles per hour ball speed and be competitive. We saw what Bryson did, Dave, where he completely changed his body, got obsessed with long drive. Yes, he won a major, but he's backed off that now. Um, it, I think it had an effect on his golf swing. Um, you know, Will's not the biggest kid. Um, do you think that the USGA and the RNA are somewhat naive of the speeds that modern golfers are going to be able to have and compete with? 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, I'm not in all those meetings, right? I'm, uh, I kind of stay in my lane. Um, but what I would say is this, is that to me, um, golf is in a really good place right now. I mean, look, look at what we just had. We had a 52-year-old guy finish second to John Rahm at, at the tournament and Brooks. And we had so many great, great stories from last week. And nobody blew away the field, you know, or, you know, no one shot 30 under par. 12 under. And obviously, yeah, exactly. So I, I look at it and go, I, I understand where they're going. They're, they're trying to, they're, they're not about growing the game. I mean, on, I think on the business card for the USGA, it's about maintaining the game or, or holding the game, you know, keeping it where, where it was. But many of the golf course architects back in the day, they wouldn't build the courses that they they would. They would have changed the golf courses. And and by the way, if you went back to Ben Hogan's era, he played different equipment than Sam Snead or 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 than Jack Nicholas. And every 10 years, equipment's evolved and changed and changed and changed. And so, you know, I think what they're trying to do is is they're trying to say, well, the second shot, you know, if these guys are bombing it as far as they are, it's taking away the second shot and we want to bring back the second shot. Well, you know, there, and, and it, it's not for everybody, right? So the amateur golfer, it's not going to affect. It's just going to affect the very small percentage of the best players in the world, which is probably 0.00%. And that would be like, imagine if you had a business and someone came to you and said, we want you to take this golf ball and roll it back and build new golf balls, but you can't sell them. So you have to make them to abide by our rules, but you're not allowed to sell them because there's no market to sell them. Uh, that's kind of crazy. And then... The other thing is it still goes like this, right? Everybody thinks that, oh, everybody's going to come to this. Well, the short guy's still the short guy and the long guy's still the long guy. So to me, I, I don't I don't get it. I mean, it actually, if I was a long guy like John Rahm, I'd be like, yeah, roll the ball back because I'm still going to have seven iron in. Now so-and-so is going to have five or four iron. So I, I don't see how it makes that big of a difference. I think agronomy really is the question. I think uh, you can do that by a lot of different ways. Now get to your question about ball speeds and the body. You know, we've been in this business since the inception. You know, TPI was founded in 2003. We've got more data on golfers' injuries and body than anybody. I have 30,000 TPI certified guys in 64 countries. We educate in 10 different languages. They do physical screens. I have the data. I can see what's going on. And, and when you look at it through our microscope, there is a ceiling at to what I think we can move the golf club at. And you see the long drive guys, they're not playing on the PJ Tour, right? They can bomb it. You're always going to get those guys do that. And it's fun. It's entertaining. But to be competitive, what we're seeing, and this is just through my own eyes, is that once you get above 190 miles an hour, there's very few times you can use it on a golf course. They're just, it's just too, too much speed. You blow it through fairways. You can't keep it. There's going to be some holes that you benefit on, obviously. But what we are seeing is that everybody's training for speed. And what's happening is if you don't train right, and we're seeing a lot of young kids and a lot of college kids break themselves because they're doing things that their body can't handle. And that kind of goes into building the right body. So when you look at Brooks and you look at Dustin and you look at John, they have a team around them. They've built their strength. And, and this even goes back to Rory. I mean, I remember when Rory was 17, 18, when he came to TPI with Padraig Harrington, and he was complaining of lower back pain. And, you know, he put a tremendous amount of torque. He bombed it back then. And, you know, one of our things with him is you need to get stronger. 
and he went and hired Stephen, a, a guy from England who who got him stronger and built a body. And John, and Rory's one of the first guys in the gym at every tournament, and he is seriously strong. But he's built a body that can handle that speed. If you don't do it right, you will break. And I think we're starting to see that with the um, Bryson. I still think these young kids that are coming out with massive speed, I don't see them dominating every week. And I think there's about a ceiling, and I think we're right there. I mean, 185, 186 is about where you can play professional golf at. Now, I may be wrong. We might have, you know, um, this young kid, Sergeant, who can get 195 speed. Maybe he'll come out, but he didn't dominate Augusta. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but I, I think they're I, – I know why they're doing it. I just think uh, they need to look at the whole equation. The human body can only handle so much, and I, I think we're there. And, and if you really want to take the speeds down, there's easier ways to do it. I mean, if we limit the tee height to two inches, you can't tee it up like this, launch it at this and spin it at this. If every if the guys have speed and they have a low tee, it'll just spin. So, you know, I, I think there's so many other ways to do it. Lastly, Dave, um, talk about TPI for everyone that's listening. Um, what do you think um, are some things that our listeners um, can go to the My TPI website and take a look at? And uh, what's in the future for what you guys are doing? Yeah, I mean, you know, for TPI, I mean, obviously, we built a community of, of experts. So, you know, we have golf professionals, medical if you're injured, fitness if you want to get stronger, that understand the golf swing and they understand how to physically assess you. And to me, the most important thing would be I'll find an expert part on the MyTPI website, go in there, punch in your zip code, find somebody that's TPI certified need you, and just ask them to do a physical screen. Just know what you can do, because if you understand how you move, then you'll know how to get better. And I, I think that is, that is the, the first and the best way to start. We have a lot of great articles on there and a lot of great exercises and swing drills and stuff as well, but that would be, be the starting point right there. In terms of us, I mean, we're continuing to educate and push the boundaries. We're we are rebuilding our facility right now and adding some new technology so we can study some things. We've actually branched out into baseball. We have a product called On Base U, and we have something called Racket Fit, where we've taken what we know in golf into baseball and into other sports. And, and we've learned from those other sports. Those are rotary sports. So some of the reasons we have some of the MLB players come in is because we want to know how they use the ground and how they create rotation and, and, and so on and how they're so strong. So you learn from going outside the ropes a little bit, and, and that's what we'll continue to do. Well, um, it was a fun day for us. We, uh, we pretty much spent the whole day together on Sunday. We, uh, ate we breakfast did. together. We, did. we watched. We flew back together. And um, it's always special when, you know, as a coach, when you, when you spend so much time um, with the players like you do. And when you have an opportunity to work with a player like John and see that kind of from start to finish to, to, to watch a player win a green jacket when you were watching him in, in college is, is pretty special and watching him as a junior. So hats off to you. Congrats. And uh, you guys at TPI, you guys are the best in the world at what you do. So uh, continued success there as well. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate you. And uh, hopefully uh, I'll be celebrating with you one of these days on the other side of the fence. So. Well, I hope so, too. <laughs> Good to talk to you. All right, buddy. Take care. So that was Dave Phillips and uh, really cool to get an opportunity to talk to him, uh, especially coming off of 
Um, I think a pretty historic win for John Rahm for a number of reasons. Obviously, yet another Spaniard to lift the green jacket. I thought it was amazing to see Jose Maria Lothabal there um, greet him. Um, uh, he joins a pretty interesting fraternity, but um, two majors now. And as Dave said, he thinks he can have a legit chance to win the Grand Slam. I sure as hell think he has a legit chance to win it. And um, pretty special week. Um, it was a special week for me as well. Uh, my dad was there. So anytime Butchie is at, at, at the, the Masters, it's fun. He doesn't go that often anymore. So got to spend a lot of time with him. It was good to see um, everybody on tour interact with him um, because he just doesn't, uh, for someone that was a part of the tour for so long, um, to see him back at a tournament doing television. I uh, had three guys in the field, so that was special. Um, a little bittersweet for me this week. Um, still processing everything that happened. I mean, Brooks Kepka, who I work with, Brooks had a hell of a chance to win. Um, yeah, I mean, he's devastated. I'm devastated. The team is, is we're pretty beat up right now, but um, I think everybody knows kind of the story of everything that, Brooks has been going through. If you've watched the full swing documentary, um, I don't think he thought he'd have a chance to win another major this, this quick. Um, he played some fantastic golf. There's three majors left. I think he's going to play a role. And um, as I said to him, when he was finished, uh, I'm incredibly proud of him, the way he played. He didn't get it done. Um, he's an alpha. I know he's upset. He's beating himself up, but um I think you saw that when Brooks is healthy, he's still one of the best players in the world. And a quick comment about the PJ Tour live drama. Um, I think last week there was a lot of narrative going into last week um, that there was going to be beef and drama um, at the live event in Orlando. A couple of reporters asked the players that were going to be playing in Augusta how they thought they'd be received. They said they thought it was going to be fine. They thought a lot of it was coming from the media. The media pushed back and said it was real. Um, after last week, if you're pushing um, that there is a rift on tour, on the PJ Tour and the Live guys, um, then you're doing that uh, for your own reasons and for your own agenda because that is 100% not true. Um, it was great to see everybody last week. Um, I had a number of different players walk um, significant different distances across the range to come give me a hug, to congratulate me on Brooks winning the week before, ask me how I'm doing, how my family's doing. Um, you know, I had about a 30-minute conversation with Rory McIlroy and caught up with Rory. Um, I had a pretty good conversation with Billy Horschel. I hadn't seen Billy in a while, but, you know, the fabric of the PGA Tour, um, even the guys that left live. I mean, I think one of the things I find interesting is um, – the guys that left live know what the PGA Tour ecosystem's like because they lived it. They played it. They were on the PGA Tour. Brooks, DJ, Phil, um, Bryson, Patrick Reed. Um, they played the PGA Tour their entire career. They know what the PGA Tour is about. I think a lot of people that have been making comments about live and somewhat anti-live, they're not part of the live ecosystem. They're not, they don't go to tournaments and um, they don't know what they're talking about. So um I didn't notice any beef. It was great to see a bunch of people that I consider friends. Um, I was happy to see a bunch of the caddies. Um, the caddies for me are, you know, the caddies on the PGA Tour, the Live Tour, wherever you're playing. The, the caddies <clears throat> make the fabric of, of the tour. 
And they're the glue that holds this whole thing together. So I got to see a bunch of the caddies, Shay, um, who caddies for Victor Hovland, um, Joe Scavron, who used to caddy for Ricky, who's now caddying for Tom Kim. Um, it was great to see a bunch of these guys. And, um, you know, I think it was, I thought the last week was good. If you're going to push the narrative that lives in exhibition and nobody plays and they're all going to get crushed in majors, Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson finished second, Patrick Reeds finishes um, I mean, they're right there. I mean, three of the top four guys, um, were live guys. So, um, I think last week was a big week. Um, but to me, the big winners last week were the fans, uh, the fans of golf, the fans of major championship golf. You get to see the best players in the world. Um, and hopefully we continue to get to see the best players in the world at the major championships. And, um, I think last week went a long way to taking a little bit of the fire, um, out of this inferno that has been building between Liv and the PGA Tour. And like I said, I thought golf was a winner last week and I thought the fans were a winner last week. Son of a Butch comes to you every Wednesday. We will see you next week. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Give yourself a delicious escape from the afternoon with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order. Turns out a delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything they make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived and other thoughtfully chosen ingredients, their cleaning products smell like a dream and work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. Goodness, there's no better feeling than that. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Visit mrsmyers.com today.